Thank you, Bert and Mary. Great job as always. And if you haven't turned there already, go to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. All right, we can see on this, the slide on the board we'll be looking at in the second session, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 9, and uh, which talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, bows and arrows. Which, what's that all about? Well, again, it's, it's, a, it's a figurative language, as we'll see for those judgments that we see in Revelation 6 through 18. So that'll be our subject. So we'll be talking more about uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period which the church has been, is going to be delivered from, and uh, it has, can't start until we are removed at the rapture of the resurrection of the church. So, as is our custom, let's take a, uh, before we, uh, we're going to uh, pray for the, uh, the lesson, we always pray for the offering as well. So, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the great privilege to uh, reflect our love back at you for what you've done for us through your Son and the Spirit in the past, doing for us now, and do for us in the future. And thank you for all the spiritual blessings and also the temporal blessings, the logistical grace blessings, and also uh, the luxuries that we have and the wonderful place, things that we have, the jobs and the homes and the cars and the salaries that we have and the businesses and uh, all the uh, wonderful blessings that we have in this country and freedoms that we have in this country in America. And so now is the time we'd like to uh, reciprocate and uh, give back to you what you gave to us as trust. And uh, we just pray, Father, that uh, you would accept it. We know through the merits of your son, Jesus Christ, you accept this, this offering and you accept us. So we just uh, pray that it would uh, be pleasing to you and it would uh, meet our needs. We thank you for those who, have been, uh, who support this ministry uh, with their finances. So also pray for the lesson, Father. I also pray that you would uh, help me today in the second session to communicate, to teach this passage in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 9, this grace passage in your word. Help me to do so with reverence, respect, and power. I pray, help me again to be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. And I pray that you, would, as a result, would use me as your instrument. It's a daunting task that you've given to me uh, to uh, communicate your almighty word, which was uh, written in a language that's uh, centuries old, but with the spirit and the translations that we have and going back to the languages and the ability that you give me, I just know that you are able to uh, help me to deliver your full counsel to your people so that they could receive the necessary spiritual nourishment. I pray also that you would move mightily and powerfully in the hearts of your people here this morning. Help them to learn and understand and apply by the spirit what is being taught. Help them to concentrate and to consider carefully what we're being taught in scripture and so that uh, they might understand why we believe what we believe and that may, might make an application in their lives to uh, live the spiritual life in light of the wonderful things that are, and terrible uh, things that are gonna hit this earth as a result of you exercising your wrath with those seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. But we know that ultimately you desire all people to be saved and we also know that you've delivered us, the church, from your wrath to come that's gonna be taking place during this period in the future. So we thank you for that, Father. And we know that uh, we're coming back with your son and we're gonna reign over this earth, so help us to always remember these things. 
that we do have the victory over sin and Satan in this cosmic system, and that we should never be depressed to the point that we sin and uh, lose all hope. And help us to understand no matter what strikes us in this life, you're for us and not against us. And nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we pray for this lesson in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, and also the offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Hashagayana. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, and his rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps, and he stood, and he shook the earth, and he looked and made the nations tremble. And the ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Selah. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though... There are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. As I said before, we're going to be looking at verse 9 now, which continues uh, this prophecy, this prophetic poetry of, that's going to be uh, this, uh, referring to the 70 weeks of Daniel and the second advent of Christ when the Lord will establish the kingdom on earth. And it says in Habakkuk 3.9, my translation, your bow will be removed from its sheath. Your arrows swore oaths to uphold your command. Selah. You will cause the earth to split open with rivers. So as we noted in our study of verses 3 through 8 of this chapter, verses 3 through 19 is what we call a prayer that offered up by Habakkuk uh, to uh, God, which he directed to be sung in the temple as part of the worship of the God of Israel. Verses 3 through 8, we also noted in detail that verses 3 through 15 are not only prophetic, referring to the events of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ, but also are alluding at times to the mighty acts of God, which he performed on behalf of the nation of Israel in the past history, such as during Israel's exodus 
Exodus from Egypt under Moses. We also noted in, our, in a detailed study of verse 3 that I adhere to the eschatological prophetic interpretation of verses 3 through 15 in the sense that I interpret these verses, verses 3 through 15 of this chapter, as being fulfilled in the future during the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. In fact, if you look at the, on the board with me, I want to show you the Net Bible's translation of verses 3 to 11. The reason why is because they translate it as prophetic, whereas your, your NIV doesn't do it. And, uh, and uh, they, they, do, they translate it in a prophetic sense uh, with future tenses, which I do as well. So I want to show you the Net Bible's translation of verses 3 through 15, if I could. Notice the translation. It says, God comes from Teman, the sovereign one from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the skies. His glory fills the earth. He is as bright as lightning. A two-pronged lightning bolt flashes from his hand. This is the outward display of his power. Plague goes before him. Pestilence marches right behind him. He takes his battle position and shakes the earth. With a mere look, he frightens the nations, and the ancient mountains disintegrate. The primeval hills are flattened, and he travels on the ancient roads. I see the tents of Cushit overwhelmed by trouble. The tent curtains of the land of Midian are shaking. Is the Lord mad at the rivers? Are you angry with the rivers? Are you enraged at the sea? Is this why you climb into your horse-drawn chariots, your victorious chariots? Your bow is ready for action. Your commission, your arrows, salah. You cause flash floods on the earth's surface. When the mountains see you, they shake. Torrential downpour sweeps through. Though the great deep shouts out, it lifts its hand on high. The sun and moon stand still in their courses. The flash of your arrows drives them away. The bright light of your quick lightning quick spear. You furiously stomp in the earth, and you angrily trample down the nations. You march out to deliver your people, to deliver your special servant. No, it's not past tense, this, they're translating it. You strike the leader of the wicked nation. You lay him open from the lower body to the neck. That's a great translation, as we'll see. That's the Antichrist being killed by Jesus at the second advent. Selah, it says, you pierce the heads of the, his warriors with a spear, and they, form, they storm forward to scatter us. They shout with joy as if they were plundering the poor with no opposition, but you trample on the sea with your horses on the surging, raging waters. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, is speaking of the events of the second, uh, not only the second advent of Christ, but the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, I have a chart on the board that I've been using extensively uh, with the, the Day of the Lord series that we're teaching on Wednesdays. And here's just, I've seen this, I've shown you the 70 weeks prophecy, and the 70th week of Daniel is taken from this prophecy, of course. Uh, again, briefly, uh, we did this in detail on Wednesdays. And I've talked about it in several instances here in this study of these verses thus far. Now, we see the 70 weeks of Daniel, it's actually 490 prophetic years. It's not speaking literal weeks. And the prophecy it's talking about each week is, is, is equivalent to a year, uh, seven years, excuse me. So a week is equivalent to seven years. You have uh, these 70, uh, 70 weeks, that's 490 prophetic years, 69 of which have been fulfilled in history. That's equivalent to 483 prophetic years. That, this passage is uh, this prophecy is found in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and we see verses 25 and 26 have been fulfilled in minute detail. We'll be looking at verse 26 this Wednesday, and 27 is not. Nothing in history corresponds to it, contrary to the preterist, who think that the events that we see in Revelation are actually already been fulfilled during the first century. Not even close. 
So Daniel 9.27 is awaiting its fulfillment. And it can't happen again until the church has been raptured according to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so Antichrist makes that treaty. Once we're gone, Antichrist makes that treaty. And then we have this last seven years of Israel's discipline. And we see it's broken out into two sections, two three-and-a-half-year sections. And remember, the prophecy is according to the Jewish reckoning of time, a 360-day calendar. They didn't use a 365-day calendar like we do. Okay, we studied this in our Day of the Lord series. So we see that 1,260 days, three and a half years, into this, prof this treaty, Antichrist makes, uh, desecrates the temple. He, there's two abominations, as I pointed out. One, the, the false prophet makes an image of the Antichrist that he makes come to life, and he wants the world to worship it. Revelation 13 talks about this. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. And he says to the Jews, when you see it standing, then you are to flee. There's another abomination that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's the Antichrist sitting between the wings of the cherubim and the rebuilt temple and the rebuilt Ark of the Covenant and declaring himself as God. So in Daniel, in the NIV translation of Daniel 9.27, they have abomination as singular. It's actually plural. Okay, speaking of these two abominations. Now, that starts, that event, the Antichrist desecrating the temple, which, by the way, the fact that he's in that temple, okay, it means, because he, he's made a treaty with Israel, he, it's an inside job. Okay, it's taking him as to be a friend, like the United States is a friend to Egypt, uh, to, to Israel today, okay, although some administrations don't act that way all the ways, all the time, uh, depending who's in and uh, what side. But we see that the, uh, the, 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 he's acting as a friend because I believe that if the, the rapture it happens, in, it happens in the next generation or two, or my generation, our generation, uh, the United States, who's the chief benefactor of Israel, will be decimated by the rapture, especially with the military gone. But the military is filled with Christians, okay? And so they're gone, we're in trouble, okay? The United States is in trouble. So who are they going to turn to? The United States of Europe with Antichrist, a Roman ruler, a Roman dictator, it says in Daniel 9, 26 and 27 that the Antichrist will come from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And that was the Romans in 70 AD. Okay? So he's a Roman. Don't look at Rome as anything today. Don't worry about it. It will become, it, it, Humpty Dumpty will be put back together. That's the Roman Empire. And it's the be a United States of Europe. That's why it's so exciting. Not only that Israel's in the land, but you have the United States of Europe. They're trying to unify Europe. And, all, and I'll guarantee you what's going on in the Ukraine and the Russia, by the Russia is in the, in the prophecies of the Bible, Ezekiel 38, 39, with regards to the tribulation period. We're going to study that in the Day of the Lord series. And that's to expose the Russian invasion of Israel is going to happen one day. In fact, I believe they were actually plotting that in 1982, and the Israelis got wind of it. They found stockpile of Russian weapons in Lebanon. That's why they went into Lebanon. And I've actually, I think, I think it was a Pentagon guy I ran into. Said, yeah, you're right. Like, really? Okay. That was true. Okay. Because I read it from a couple other sources. So we had, what were they going to do? They're going to invade. Okay. Why? Israel's sitting on a lot of wealth. Israel is blooming like the rose, right? Because they, the, the gods give the Jews great ability and understanding about irrigation. I mean, they know what they're doing. They found oil. A lot of people don't even know this. They run a ton of oil. Okay, on a ton of oil, you got the Dead Sea there, you mine that where they need to. That's worth millions and billions of dollars. It's incredible. So Israel's always wanted a warm weather port. And where do you think they're going to go? They're going to go right there. 
And they'll have all, they'll have, we'll study, this will be a, a coalition of nations like Libya and all these other that will come in with this invasion. But God will destroy it. The Israelis won't even have to lift a, an, a gun. So we have this going on. The, the tribulation period, when Antichrist desecrates the temple, it's the Armageddon campaign. And it goes for three and a half years to the second advent of Christ, which ends it all. So if you look on the, on the board, you have Antichrist treaty right here. You see my, my Wittikov fla flashing around. I don't have my, can't use my pen with these PowerPoint thing. And then you have, it's three and a half years and Antichrist breaks the treaty. By the way, and I mentioned this before, Satan simultaneously at that, what triggers Antichrist breaking the treaty is Michael and the elect angels from the order of the Lord Jesus Christ is expelled from heaven. Satan and the fallen angels are expelled by Michael and the elect angels. Revelation 12 teaches about that, teaches about that. That triggers Antichrist doing what he does. Then we have three and a half years of war, the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments. Not only the wrath of the land poured out upon the human race at that time in the earth, but also the wrath of Satan, because he knows he doesn't have much time left. And he persecutes Israel and the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So the second advent brings it all to an end. And if he didn't come back in the second advent, not one person would be left alive. The human race, it, he's saying in that passage in Matthew, that the human race would exterminate itself. Satan would see fit to it because he would like to get us off here. So we have, and he's trying to prevent uh, Jesus presiding over a millennial kingdom with Israel as head of the nations, as its king. So that's another reason why he wants to destroy the Jews, the main reason why he wants to destroy the Jews, so Jesus won't have anybody to reign over. So that's the 70th week of Daniel, and that's the context, the prophetic context that we're studying in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. So Habakkuk 3.9, as you again can see in my translation on the board, your bow will be removed from its sheath. Your arrows swore oaths to uphold your command. Selah. You will cause the earth to be split open with rivers. So Habakkuk 3.9 contains three more solemn prophetic statements. I say they're solemn because there's no connective word between each of these statements. And or now or but. When the writer does this, and all languages has this figure called the syndeton. And when they don't use a connected word between the statements, it's for emphasis or to mark a contrast, stuff like that. Here, it's to emphasize the solemn nature of what's being said. In other words, the writer wants you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, using this figure, to think about what's being, being said here, to meditate upon it, okay? So the first of these statements, these solemn prophetic statements, asserts that the Lord Jesus Christ's bow will be removed from its sheath. The second solemnly asserts that his arrows swore oaths to uphold his command, which is followed by the interjection Selah, or as it's in the Hebrew, Selah. So the third and final prophetic statement solemnly asserts that the Lord will cause the earth to be split open with rivers. Now, the Lord unleashing his bow is, again, figurative language, apocalyptic language for the Lord Jesus Christ breaking the seventh seal scroll in Revelation 5 that we studied and read in the first session. That's what it's referring to, okay? It's the breaking, when he says again in the translation, your bow be removed from its sheath, the bow removed from its sheath is the seventh seal trumpet of bull judgments. Did you notice in Revelation 6, uh, you can go there, hold your place, go to Revelation chapter 6. We read this, and I was going to say something, but I saved it for this for this uh, session. Revelation 6.1. So the, the, I'm taking the bow out of his sheath, that is basically the Lord Jesus Christ breaking the seven seal 
scroll, which is the title deed of earth, which unleashes the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments, which are designed to what? To exercise his wrath against people who rejected his savior and to crisis evangelism, evangelism, people to see their need for him. And some get, many get saved, millions get saved, and the Jews uh, believe in him, uh, national regeneration. And, but also, to, he wants to wipe off the cosmic system of Satan. He's wanna destroy the world system that we see today. The world system, Babylon, this, this Babylonian mystery religions, this uh, economic thing that we have in, our, in the world today. Read Revelation 17 and 18, talks about this. We'll study this in the Day of the Lord series. There's a world economic system. It's, in, it's in up in, in, in uh, uh, the, uh, you see it with Wall Street. It's everywhere. In fact, Babylon will be rebuilt. It'll be a major city, major economic center during the tribulation period, no mention of New York, okay? Everything's gonna shift over there, all right? The Mesopotamian region of the world, where it all began anyways. Okay, as Abraham came out of there, right? Many people, the Garden of Eden was down there, okay? So we have this incredible thing going on here where you know, the Lord is unsheathing his bow, which is breaking the seven seal trumpet, uh, seven seal scroll, the title deed to earth, which he gained through his, his victory over sin and Satan at, at the cross, and we see that this triggers those seven seal trumpet and bold judgments that will be exercised against the world during the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel, ending with the second advent of Christ. So we see that if you look at Revelation 6.1, as I watched, as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud, in a voice like thunder, come, I looked. Now look what it says, and there before me was a white horse. Now this is not the Lord, Okay, we see him on a white horse later in the book. No, this is the Antichrist. White horse, okay? And it says, it's right held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. But he's a rider with a bow, okay? But he has no arrows, okay? He comes as a peace guy. That's what it comes as. He comes as a peacemaker, the Antichrist. That corresponds to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The world will be saying during that time, the first three and a half years, the Cold War portion of the 70th week, peace and security we have. So he will have this economic system that will be booming. People will be prospering. The world will be doing great. Oh, it's so good to get rid of those Christians. They were mucking up the waters. It will be a beautiful place for them. Little do they know that they're ready for the worst period in all of history, and you and I will be from having a ringside seat in heaven watching this going on. So he doesn't have anything in this Antichrist, but the Lord, if he has, his wrath is being poured out, as we saw in the first session. It says at the very end, Revelation 6, 16, they called to the mountains, the inhabitants of the earth during the tribulation period, and the rocks, they said, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The, the Father sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb who sits at his right hand. For the great day of their wrath, the Father and the Son's wrath, has come. Who can stand it? Rhetorical question, demanding, demanding an emphatic negative response. No one, absolutely no one will be able to stand against it. So we see that, again, on the board with my slide here, 
we see that the Lord unsheathing his bow is figurative language for the Lord Jesus Christ breaking the seven seal scroll in Revelation chapter 5. And this results in the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments which are recorded in Revelation 6 to 18. And they'll be, it'll be terminated by Jesus Christ's second advent. Now, this is indicated by the fact that Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, as we pointed out in detail, we spent a whole class on this weeks, several weeks ago, is prophetic. The whole section is prophetic of uh, the 70 week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ and the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. It's also indicated by the fact that these judgments are employed by the Lord to defeat Antichrist, the false prophet and the tribulational armies in order to deliver regenerate Jews and Gentiles from them. And I, I didn't put that in the, in the slide, but this I didn't put in the slide. He's going to destroy the cosmic world system that we live in. This world... Okay? It's going to be a parking lot with these judgments. That's why the Bible says not to hang on to your things. As Chuck Swinsall said, do not hang on to your house too long. Don't, don't, don't cling to it. Because you'll be taken away from it, or it's going to be taken away from you one way or the other, through death, the rapture, whatever. And furthermore, the whole earth is going to be wiped clean. He's going to cleanse this earth of the sin and rebellion that's been going on since the fall of Adam and Eve. And, and back... Back before, when he, Satan was on this earth as the ruler of this earth before mankind, Ezekiel 28. So we have this, he's gonna, this, this whole world system that we have that we're told not to love. Okay, 1 John 2, 15, don't love the things of the world. You know, don't, in other words, no idols. You love Jesus, okay? And I mean, I'm, you, we obviously need homes and we need possessions and stuff to, to lie, logistics, okay? We get that. And it's nothing wrong if you have nice things. Nothing wrong to have a nice house. But you've got to understand, put things in perspective. Don't get too upset. Uh, don't, you know, the house is not going to last forever. Okay? You're going to die and it's going to be left to somebody else. And it's going to just, everything's going to be wiped clean anyways. Because God, the Lord has had enough of this world system. And he's coming to judge it. And the world's not going to like what he's going to do. And we know it's coming. And he wants his bride, the church, us to know what he's going to do. There's an intimacy between him and his bride. That's why we should study prophecy. One, it motivates us to live the spiritual life. We saw that right from the beginning of our Day of the Lord series in 2 Peter, when he talks about the Day of the Lord in relation to the new heavens and the new earth. And he says, what, may, what people should we be like that? How should we act? I'll tell you what you're supposed to act. Keep short accounts with God. Live your life in light of the imminency of your death or the rapture, because it could happen at any moment. You don't know if you're going to live past today, do you? I don't. You don't know if the rapture's going to come now, today, do you? No one knows. There's supposed to be a sense of urgency in the way we live our lives. And when we sin, we confess it. We don't wait till tomorrow, because he could come back before then. And what are you going to do? You'll be out of fellowship when he shows up? So we should live our lives in light of the imminency of the return of our Lord at the rapture at all, to deliver us from the wrath to come or our death, whichever comes first and be serious students of the Word of God. We've, as we saw in the Doctrine of Sanctification, we're set apart to serve God exclusively. We're here for a purpose to serve Him, not to do our own thing. We're to follow the example of our Lord. He said He came to be, not to serve, not to be served, but to serve others. Mark 2, 10.45, that's what we're supposed to be, serving each other through the practice of the command to love one another. And by this all people know you're my disciples. Okay? This is what we're to be doing here until the Lord t takes us out. The, the prophecy is not so you can get a big head and just sit there and, uh, you know, I want to get out of here, Lord. I hope the rapture comes because you can't heal your problems. What that means, you're not 
appropriating the omnipotence of God through faith in God's word, so you're not living the way God wants you to do, despite the fact that you know the rapture. Okay? So we got to have a balance at all times. Okay? So we have here, look at Revelation. You're in Revelation 6. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Let's go back to that chapter again. Revelation 5, 1. Revelation 5.1, then I saw in the right hand of him, that's the father, who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Again, the title deed to planet earth. He got it through his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the father. Satan usurped the authority of Adam and Eve in the garden. That's why he's called the God of this world. But guess what? He's a defeated foe. Okay? So he, prior, prior to establishing the kingdom on earth and taking back which is his, rightfully his, he's calling out a bride for himself. The church, right now. And then when we're gone, he's giving this last 70th week of Daniel to deal with his people Israel. And then he comes back and ends it all and starts the kingdom. So then it says in verse 2, it says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept, John says, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns. It's apocalyptic literature. Okay? Seven horns. Number of spiritual perfection, seven. Horn speaks of his omnipotence. Eyes. Seven eyes. It speaks of his, omni, uh, his omniscience, which are the seven spirits of God who sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So, as I said before in the previous slides here, I said to you, let me back this up. We see that in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 9, the unsheathing of his bow is figurative language for the Lord Jesus Christ breaking the seven seal scroll in Revelation chapter 5. And this results in the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. That's what, that, what he just did there is going, to un, is going to trigger these judgments which will be terminated by the second advent of Christ. And we said this is indicated, all this is indicated by the fact that verses 3 through 15 in context is prophetic of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. Now, it's also indicated by the fact that these judgments are employed by the Lord to defeat Antichrist, uh, the false prophet, the tribulational armies, and, ordered, and Satan, we could say, in order to deliver Jews and Gentiles, regenerate Jews and Gentiles, from them. Now, we see... The act of the Lord Jesus Christ taking the book out of the Father's right hand indicates that all power and authority and judgment have been given to him. Please listen to me. You're in union with him. You're at the right hand of the Father positionally. That's how God looks at each and every one of you. No matter who you are, you are somebody. You might not think you're somebody, but a humble person who knows God's word, you know, some people say, oh, shucks, I'm nobody. Don't give me that. I hate with people. That's phony, false humility. Humility. A humble person knows God's word and applies it. That's humility. 
They are teachable, they learn God's word, and they put it into practice. So the truth of you and I is that we are somebody, but we're nothing really. Because we were saved by grace through faith, the merit and the object of our faith saved us, so there's nothing great about us, but nonetheless, God in his mercy and his grace, unmerited blessing, he put us in union with Christ. He didn't do that with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Daniel. He did it with you and I, the church. Not many mighty were chosen, that's for sure, just look at me. He took me. Can you imagine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We're going, oh, he gets his resurrection body before us. And you know, Daniel will be going, Bill Wenstrom? He's a part of the bride of Christ? Man, I'm just being facetious. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Why couldn't I be in his place? He's nobody. Okay? That's right. I'm nobody. Who's getting glory about that? God. He gets the glory. He took a bunch of nobody that made him somebody. Who's going to reign and rule over this earth? So yeah, you are somebody. So the act of the Lord taking the book out of the Father's right hand indicates that all power and authority and judgment have been given to him. Paul even says in his first intercessory prayer in Ephesians, he prays that God might, you might be, the Holy Spirit might enlighten you Christians as to the great power and love that's been directed to you because of your union and identification with Christ. You're raised and seated with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. So you, in other words, the implication is you have power, you have authority, and you have judgment. He had to remind the Corinthians about that, who were suing each other, going to a, a pagan courts to, to resolve their issues. He goes, don't you have anybody among you who's wise enough to make judgment between you two? Don't you know you're going to judge angels? Satan does not want you to know that. He does not want you to know who you are in Christ. He doesn't want you to know that. Because if you do, look out. Maybe there's hope for this country yet. Okay? So, Daniel chapter 7 speaks of this event that we just read in Revelation. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Daniel chapter 7. Uh, go to, um, hold your place in Revelation. Go to Daniel chapter 7. What a great chapter this is. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. Now this talks about the time, this chapter talks about the times of the Gentiles from God's perspective. The various empires that were depicted on the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2, okay, those nations are being depicted with these different beasts. In Daniel chapter 2, they look at these nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Alexander's great, uh, Greece, Rome, and the final stage of the Roman Empire under Antichrist, from a human perspective, chapter 2. Chapter 7, he looks at them as beasts. God looks at the nations today, including our own nation, as this wild beast. Okay? That's how he looks at the nations. Okay? So, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. It goes, in the seventh year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He broke down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision, as I, at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. And the great sea is apocalyptic literature, a language for the nations, Gentile nations of the earth. The great sea in Revelation 17.11 says the same thing about the nations. Like if the, the sea is depicted, the, the as oceans, as the Gentiles' peoples. It's figurative language. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. You see? So these four great beasts are four great nations, okay, that have already come back to pass in history. The first was like a lion, 
and it had the wings of an eagle, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And be there before me was a second beast, made of Persia, that followed Babylon, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, get up and eat your flesh. I don't have time to go to the exposition of all this, but when we do the book, it's going to be fun. And look at these. Verse 6, after that, I looked and there before me was another beast. This is Alexander the Great's Greek empire, empire. One that looked like a leopard. And the leopard because of the speed of which Alexander conquered. Nobody had seen anything like that at that point in history. And on its back had four wings. And that's the four generals that followed him after his death at the age of 36 from alcoholism. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. And this beast had four heads. And it was given authority to rule. And after that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast who turned out to be Rome. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. And look at the description of it. Fits Rome perfectly. It had large iron teeth and it crushed and it devoured its victims and trampled into foot whatever was left. It was different from the form of beast and it had ten horns the ten horns are speaking of the European ten nation European confederation under antichrist during the tribulation period on that beast okay while I was thinking about the horns the final stage of the Roman Empire there before me was another horn a little one that's the antichrist who came up among them first time he's spoken about in scriptures here and he came up from among them. And there, three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. When we, we, in the Day of the Lord series, we'll be talking about the Antichrist quite a bit in this passage. Verse 7, uh, 9. As I looked, here we go. Right back to Revelation 5, 1 through 7. Here's the comparative passage in Daniel 7. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, took his seat. And his clothing was white as snow. Speaking of his moral purity, the hair of his head was white like wool, and his throne was flaming with fire, judgment, and, his, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him, speaking of his decrees and judgments. Thousands upon thousands attending him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. And then I continued to watch, because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, the Antichrist. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire of the Rome, final stage of the Roman Empire. And the other beasts had been stripped of their authority and were allowed to live for a period of time. Now look what it says. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of a man, son of man. Jesus uses the expression, this title, son of man, of himself all over the Gospels more than any other description of himself. And they all knew why he was using it. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of this. That's why they, they knew exactly when he was saying that. They used to bug him like crazy, the Pharisees and the scribes, when he used this expression. Because he was saying, I am the fulfillment of this passage here. So he says, coming, he's coming with the clouds, which is a, a, a figurative language for deity. He approached the Ancient of Days, the Father, and, led, and was led into his presence. And this was fulfilled upon his ascension and session at the right hand of the Father. Okay? This was fulfilled. And look what it says. And he was given authority and glory and power over all peoples, nations, and men of every language, and worshipped him. The seven seals scrolled to planet Earth. He has the authority over the earth now. And he's going to remove the temporary ruler of this world, Satan. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, Jesus is, and that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that never will be destroyed. So, Revelation, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, records the first seal judgment. Revelation, verses, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, records the second. Verses 5 and 6, the third. Verses, uh, uh, verses 7 and 8, records the fourth. 
and verses 9 through 11 records the fifth. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17 records the sixth judgment, seal judgment, and Revelation 8, verses 2 through 5 records the seventh. We also see that Revelation 8, verses 6 and 7 records the first trumpet judgment. Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, records the second one. Verses 10 and 11 of that chapter records the third. Verses 12 through 13 of that chapter records the fourth. Verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9 records the fifth. And Revelation 9, verses 13 through 20, records the sixth of these trumpet judgments. And verses 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, records the seventh. Now, we see that Revelation 16, 2, records the first bold judgment. Verse 3 of that chapter, the second. Verse 3 records the third also. And Revelation 16, 8 and 9 records the fourth. And verses 10 and 11 of that chapter records the fifth bold judgment. And verses 12 through 16 records the sixth. And Revelation uh, 16, verses 17 through 21 records the seventh. And I forgive me for not having that up on the slide, but you, those who have the notes know that uh, I have that in my notes, so I didn't put it in the slide. So anyways, these seven sealed trumpet bold judgments, which we're all going to study in detail in our Day of the Lord series, so I'm just plowing through it right now, so you get the idea. The seven sealed trumpet and bold judgments will also be administered by the elect angels, as they said, during the 70th week of Daniel, and they'll be terminated by the second advent of Christ. Now, the purpose of which is to imprison Satan and his angels for a thousand years to destroy Antichrist and the false prophet and defeat the tribulational armies and deliver regenerate Jews and Gentiles, and as I said before, to wipe out Satan's cosmic system. The world that we live in that's antagonistic to Jesus and the Bible, you know, that's why people don't be shocked because that country doesn't reflect Christian values or doesn't want to study the Bible like you or come to Bible class when the roads are all iced up and you still show up to Bible class. They don't get it. They don't have the spirit. Don't expect them to. Don't expect China or Russia to be like that. Don't expect Korea. Don't expect the people of the world, the people you work with, they're going to understand this. No. This is the devil's world. And at that point, those people are the devil's children that God's trying to save from the devil and also his wrath to faith in his son. So this whole world system, that's his genius, okay, is going to be up in smoke. The world will be a parking lot. And he's going to make it all over. And when you come back, and I come back at the second advent of Christ, we're not going to recognize it. It's going to be the curse that will be lifted. And no more, I mean, I hate these things. You drive down, I noticed this in Alabama. You drive down, down Orange Beach, and they got every mile there's a picture of a lawyer on the, on a billboard. You know that? What the heck is this? And Vaughn Va would tell me. Yeah, these guys, he, I know that guy. It's like, it's like, this is ridiculous. No ridiculous things of this world, you know. No more, you know, professional athletes, you know, going like this and, you know, they're, they're the greatest and all, you know, that stuff. All that stuff is gone. Everything is away. The pompous, the arrogance of the world, the, the greed, okay, the injustice, all right. All that's gone. See you later. Goodbye. Don't get too enthralled with this world or worked up about it because guess what? It's going to get wiped off. The whole system, Wall Street, they don't create anything. Do they create anything? No! That's gone. Forget about that. That's out of that. Out of here. See you later. All these crazy ideas that are going woke. The gay, the LBGTQ, and whatever it's called. All over there. It's all gone. See you later. You won't see that anymore. You won't even recognize this place when you and I come back. You'll be like, whoo, this is more like it. Yeah. 
You're in enemy territory right now, boys and girls. We all are. So we need to orient ourselves to that and not get too, too discouraged. But look, this is what the great thing about prophecy. It keeps us from getting too discouraged. Remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, talking about the day of the Lord and you're delivered from the wrath to come. In the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. At the end of it, he goes, encourage one another with these things. Okay? So as we noted, we'll close with this. The second prophetic statement in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 9, solemnly asserts that the Lord's arrows swore oaths to uphold his command. Like the first prophetic statement in this verse, the second is figurative language. And here the arrows are personified as having received a commission from the Lord, which they have vowed or taken an oath to uphold. Now, let me show you my translation of that verse again. I don't think I have it. Uh, I want to go to the slide here. It says, is the Lord, verse 9, your bow will be removed from its sheath, your arrows swore to uphold your command, Selah, and you will cause the earth to be split open with rivers. So we see that, again, the purpose of these judgments is to imprison Satan and his angels for a thousand years, destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet, and defeat the tribula tribulation armies, and to deliver, spawn again and save Jew and Gentiles. Now, as we also noted, we have this, uh, this Selah, or Selah is the way it's pronounced in the Hebrew. It's calling the hearer, you and I, or reader, to pause and meditate. It's a break in the lyrics, a break in the song. It's a rest in the song, we would say. So meditate upon this second prophetic statement, which as we noted is figurative language, referring to the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments, which will take place during the 70th week of Daniel. And these will be used by the Lord again to deliver his people from Satan and the fallen angels. So, so in other words, and we gotta wrap it up here. Yeah, break of the music, okay, so what, we know what's going on here. This is what's gonna happen in the future. And so the first thing I'm thinking of is, okay, how am I supposed to live? Like we talked about before. How are we supposed to live? If this is who God's made us to be in union with Christ, and this is what he's gonna do in the future, and this is what he's gonna do to people who don't, don't love him and don't obey him and reject him, I think we need to not live like the people of the world that reject him, right? Go back to the way we used to live prior to, prior to becoming Christians? No. You know, falling into a lifestyle of sinning? No, that's not what he wants. Falling, having the priorities of the world? You know, loving money, greedy, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed like the rest of the people. And, you know, it's all about them. And they need, I need, I need, I need a pill to deal with my problem. I need to get high. I smoke, I got to do some grass. I, I, I got to tie one on. I got to drink a lot of uh, booze tonight to deal with my problem. No, that's the way we used to do it. No, not anymore. You know, gossiping about people, being slandering people behind their back, being dishonest, you know, not paying your taxes, stuff like that. No, that, we don't do that anymore because God didn't make us to be that way. We're, in, we're supposed to live like royalty, which we are. Okay? We're royalty. Royal family of God, royal priesthood, royal ambassadors. We want to lead people to the Savior, but not living by ungodly conduct. We lead people to the Savior by practicing love with each other in this church to start with. Because by this all people know that we're Jesus' disciples. So our conduct, the way we live our lives, having character and integrity in everything we do. Living, doing our jobs at work. You get a lousy boss, you know, I know what that's like. And I feel for people who have tough bosses and stuff. But what you got to do when you do your jobs under the Lord. Okay? 
And I, I mean, I, I had some buttes. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'll, one of these days I'll tell you some of the stories. But I had some buttes, man, I'll tell you. But I'd always remind myself, as Bob would teach, do your jobs on the Lord, okay? I, don't, I would do it to serve them, not my boss. Although I didn't tell my boss that. I'm like, I'm working hard, showing up on time, or getting, being there early and staying late and doing everything I need to do because my Lord is watching what I'm doing. Raise your families according to godly principles, not why Oprah says you should raise your kids or whoever is out there that's in the world, The View. Oh, that's a great show. <clears throat> my father, I catch my father watching that. What are you watching that show? I think it was when Jenny McCarthy was on. That's why he liked to watch it, you know, because she was beautiful. So anyway, Selah, it is calling the hearer or reader to pause and meditate. Don't tell, if he ever shows up here, don't tell him I said that, okay? So he's calling the hearer or the reader to pause, he'd laugh, and meditate upon this second prophetic statement, which, as we noted, is figurative language referring to the seven seal trumpet and bold judgments, which, again, will take place during the seventh week of Daniel. Now, as we noted... The third and final prophetic statement in verse 9. Let me show you on the board. We've got to wrap this up. It says, you will cause the earth to be split open with rivers. So we see that this third and final prophetic statement asserts that the Lord's going to cause the earth to be split open with rivers. In other words, it speaks of the Lord causing the earth to be flooded by causing rivers to overflow their banks. However, this too is figurative language. It's figurative language for the armies of the tribulation, actually. Because you see in Scripture many times, the word flood is used in those prophetic contexts for floods, you know, for rivers flooding the earth, okay, as armies marching. So this kind of language is found in Daniel 9.26, a passage we're going to study this Wednesday. Then after the 62 units of seven years, the Messiah will be executed, Jesus, so that he possesses nothing. Next, the people of the coming leader... The people, Rome, the coming leader, Antichrist, will destroy the city, Jerusalem, as well as its sanctuary, the temple, and that was done in 70 AD by the Romans. Indeed, its end will take place with a flood. That's figurative. For what? Yes, there'll be war. Up to the end, desolations have been decreed. We also see it in Revelation 12, 15, this use of the word flood for armies and invading a nation. Verse, uh, verses 16 and 15 and 16 of chapter 12 of Revelation. Then the serpent spouted water like a river out of his mouth, and that's the, uh, uh, Satan, after the woman, that's Israel, in an attempt to sweep her away by a flood. That's speaking of Israel during the tribulation period. Flood, war, the tribulational armies, the Antichrist, and the, the, the nations from the east in Revelation 16 coming across the dried up Euphrates River to descend for, uh, for the final battle. Okay, where Christ will destroy them. But the earth came to rescue Israel. The ground opened up and swallowed the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So as we close, the serpent in this passage is, of course, Satan, and the woman is the nation of Israel during the 70th week of Daniel, and in particular, the nation during the last seven, three and a half years of the 70th week, when Israel will be persecuted by Satan and the Antichrist and the reference to the flood speaks of armies of the Antichrist in pursuit of the citizens of Israel during this period. But you and I are delivered from that time. Uh, I apologize. One more, one more passage. Go to, uh, you're in first, go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to close with this. Please. And I promise you, I'll let you go. There's nothing to do out there. It's freezing out there anyway, so, okay? First Thessalonians 5.1. If you need to go, uh, go ahead. Be a potty pooper. We just watch a football game. The game stinks this time anyway. So, I mean, the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl this year or the playoffs, so it's like 
Who wants to, you know, who bothers? Like you people in Alabama, when Alabama didn't win, and then they, get, they didn't get, you know, the national, you didn't even bother watching the national championship game. That's how I am. My page, my page is not in the playoffs. I'm not even watching football. I'm, I'm studying or something else, or, you know, I don't know, playing tiddlywinks. First Thessalonians 5.1. Now, brothers, he's talking to Thessalonian Christians, okay? Just like you and I. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety during the first three and a half years, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled in fellowship with God. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith. Notice he's talking in the context of the day, Lord, and making up spiritual application to their walk with God. Okay? But since we belong, so that's why a lot of guys I see study prophecy, they leave this stuff out. You know, it's like, you're not using prophecy correctly. Look at the way Paul uses it. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now look what he says. For God, why should we do this? For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. And that's not the wrath of the lake of fire. That's the wrath in context of the day of the Lord, the tribulation period that we've been studying in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 to 15. He didn't appoint us to suffer the wrath of the tribulation period, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he's talking about salvation, it's still future. What does he mean? The perfection of our salvation. We were saved in a positional sense at our justification. We can experience salvation, deliverance from sin and Satan through the spiritual life, obeying God's word. And in a perfective sense, we'll experience the perfection of our salvation and that we'll be perfected in a resurrection body and never sin again. That's the purpose for our salvation, delivering us from eternal condemnation. Sin, Satan, and his cosmic system, enslavement to those things, was that we would be delivered. Okay? It'll be, perfect. It'll be completed, his purpose for our salvation. And he says, now look what he says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now look what he says, here's the application. Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. So we're delivered from this period that we've been studying about that's terrifying. We're not going through it. Remember, Jesus is not a white Peter. We're the bride of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to apply what we've been taught here. To, uh, and we thank you for the encouragement that you've given to us in your word. And thank you for the things that you're teaching us about what's about to happen on this earth, what you're going to do to the inhabitants of this earth because of their rejection of your son, Jesus Christ. We just pray, Father, that uh, this lesson be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you as we apply what we've been taught here today. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll play us a song and get us out of here.
Don't slip out there, watch the ice. Please do not slip. <laughs>